Welcome everyone, this is Brandon. I'm the Cybersecurity Account Executive from Daily Cyber. This is episode 252, and I actually have an exciting interview today that I think you guys are gonna love. I've got Simon Law. Uh, he's a San Francisco-based entrepreneur experience in payment, security, tokenization, and blockchain technology. He's CEO and co-founder of Login ID. Simon's passion, uh, passion and objective is to revolutionize the authentication user privacy and identity industry. So we're gonna have an amazing interview with, with Simon just coming up. A uh, couple things I wanna do, just a little housekeeping. I wanna first thank you guys so much for being part of the cyber insecurity uh, community. A uh, lot of growth happening. I've been talking to Neil in the, in the back and just hearing about all the things you guys have been doing to help us out and help us grow. So thank you so much. I really appreciate everything that you guys have been doing. Uh, so. I'm gonna jump into this interview because I think we got a lot to cover right now. So grab a grab grab a coffee, grab a tea, and let's hack at it. to thank our sponsor for this episode, USADO. USADO is a Canadian-based cybersecurity company that provides 24-7 cybersecurity support and compliance service that align their customers' tolerance for risk, their clients, suppliers, and government contractual mandates. USADO's teams focus on using insights to drive business decisions. There's no need to leave strategies to chance when insights can be used to show what changes need to be made and how to make them. USADO offers multiple services to help companies simplify IT, centralize cybersecurity management, and meet compliance standards. USADO can customize their service to work with your existing IT network and programs. For more information, contact USADO at info at uzado.com or visit their website at www.uzado.com. Hey, Simon, how's it going? Hi, Brandon. Thanks for having me today. Oh, thank you so much. It's been great to, to have you here and just talk about, you know, the new forms of authentication. So thank you so much. So how you been through the pandemic? Um, yeah, it's been it's been a wild, uh, wild ride, you know, big adjustment at the very beginning, you know, um, for our entire team. But I think, um, you know, we've all adapted to this virtual work at home kind of environment so yeah it's pretty good actually now now that things that um, uh, that we've adapted to it, uh, our team is super productive unfortunately you know life uh, the work-life balance is kind of uh, blurred now there's really no uh, you know nine to five or ending of work and start of personal life it all blends together but uh, you know it's, it's near normal now oh well, I mean hopefully Knock on wood, you know, in 2021, we all kind of go back to some sort of normalcy. Absolutely. I'd love to do that. Yep. So let me first ask the, the audience. So if you guys are ready, let me know. If you guys have any questions, we've got some great moderators that are, are there uh, just helping us to answer any questions or at least pro provide me the, the questions you guys have so I can ask Simon. So start shooting away. Uh, we'll get Simon going. Uh, first, Simon, I want, really want to ask you to kind of get into this and educate, you know, the community and what's going on with that space. What was the need you recognized to start login ID? Well, I think uh, the, recognizing the need 
for me was really um, a lot to do with my background. So I started my career actually in uh, doing mobile and encryption and mobile payments. So that's kind of how I started my career in the payment space. And that's actually how um, it evolved into recognizing the need to start login ID. So, you know, in my in my prior life, I, I spent a lot of time actually looking at how to, you know, optimize the uh, commerce experience. As you know, Amazon was a uh, you know great innovator in the one-click experience for the web, in a browser world. And uh, back then, that was very early days. I was more of the mobile payments. Uh, era and uh, so that was kind of my background and I recognize that during the mobile payment space uh, you know the user experience is extremely uh, important even more so than in a desktop environment so that one touch is really really important so you know you know if you if you follow the history you know the PayPal one one click experience the do checkouts um, on their mobile phone and on the desktop and Visa checkout master pass those are all kind of um, my background and mm -hmm. I, I found that you know uh, that this experience is not only just important for you know payments but you know in general for authentication it's uh, it's a it's a pain point in the in the space so if you look at it at a very high level you know people still use since the mainframe days usernames and passwords so yeah, I recognize that you know there's an evolution that you know there was a need for the you know the commerce side, but you know, in general, for authentication, there you know there needs to be some kind of path to having a good user experience, mm -hmm. and not only just on the consumer's perspective, right? There's also um, in the company's perspective as well. You know, you really want to um, provide them with a good uh, the users with a good user experience, and uh, you know, passwords also also is a, a honeypot of what they call um, um, a honeypot for hackers to come in for passwords. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I recognize that during this time that, you know, there's kind of a, a need to have this good user experience um, for authentication. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell you the story. So it actually started out when um, I was working at uh, Visa and Visa had a, had a checkout experience called Visa Checkout and they used, it, used usernames and passwords. And so one of the big things was that some people, you know, the whole thing was a one-click checkout, but some people forgot their passwords. So the whole point of having it being one, one click is no longer relevant. So what they really need to do is solve the authentication problem. So that led to the thinking, hey, how do we actually solve the authentication problem, not so much the uh, the payments problem, so the one-click payments problem. So that's actually what led to uh, me looking through um, um, the standards. And and at that time, this was this was probably four years ago, in uh, in um, uh, the 20, uh, 26, 2016, 2017 uh, time frame, There was a there was a standard called FIDO. Mm -hmm. and it stands for Fast Identity Online, and it was a consortium of these. Uh, tech, um, big tech players trying to solve the password problem, and that's actually how I recognize that you know, you know, the industry is looking for um, for everyone to come together with a solution, and I recognize that this was actually a, a great opportunity. So, 
uh, back in 2018, um, we found that not only did the standards come together, um, they made all the hardware and all the software work together. And so in order for you know things to work together, for software to work, mm-hmm. is that you have to convince all the software and hardware vendors to come around a standard. So they came around this FIDO standard. And then they submitted this FIDO standard to um, to the W3C, which is the World Wide Web Consortium. And that led to the standardization of this FIDO protocol into what they call WebAuthn. Now okay. you can now basically have your browser and your operating system all standardized on this new passwordless authentication standard. So at that time, when I recognized that, hey, look, all the hardware manufacturers, all the way from the chip manufacturers, like the Intels of the world um, and the Apples of the world, all coming together, and all the way from the you know operating system to the browsers, they all support the standard. I saw that that okay, finally we solved what what I consider the chicken and the egg problem, right? You have to have one side of the equation um, kind of complete where. Finally, we have all the hardware uh, and the software on the consumer's device supporting this standard. Now it's kind of solving the other side of the equation, which is trying to convince all the websites um, to adopt this new standard. So I saw, hey, you know what? Uh, Late 2018, that this was actually going to be the global standard for authentication. Mm -hmm. And um, I started login ID and uh, it's been a rocket ship ever since then. Yep. That's that's awesome. That's awesome here. So, talk a little bit about what is passwordless authentication. Like, what does that really mean? Yeah. So when you know, the passwordless can mean a lot of things. So, how we define passwordless is strong two-factor authentication, and um, we use the two factors, you know, um, as something you are, which is your biometric. So think of your touch ID when you unlock your phone or uh, face ID when you use your face. Uh, now not only uh, um, do you use to unlock your phone, now you can use it to, for authentication to applications as well. So that's one factor, who you are. And then the second factor is what you have, which is actually your mobile device or your desktop. So what happens in here is it's really secure. It actually stores what they call a security encryption key that's stored inside the chip of your mobile device or your or, or your desktop chip. Okay. Okay. And then, so that's how the two factor. It's something that you have, which is the security key inside your chip, and then something you are, which is your biometric. So, that so that's how we face for thumbprint, yeah. whatever, right? That's right. And then instead of now typing in username password, it's basically a one one click experience. You click on a button. Um, you know, your mobile phone's biometric comes up and says scan your face or, or scan your fingerprint, and then you're logged in or authenticated to any application. And the applications are kind of endless right now. So this is where it, why it's so exciting. It's not just about logging in. You can process transactions, you can sign documents, you can, you know, execute something, um, you know, make it start. So, so there's a lot, a lot of applications that can that can spawn from this strong authentication, which is very exciting. Yeah. Perfect. Now I have a question from the community. Uh, what are, what are the big security risks with passwordless authentication? I've been reading that these can be bypassed at at, at times. 
Well, you know, um, you know, security is obviously there's a lot of ways. You know, it's a game of cat and mouse. But you know, as of now, um, Fido and WebAuthn is pretty very secure. The reason why it is is because the encryption key, the what they call the private key, exists in the hardware, mm -hmm. which is in like an Apple device. It's the what they call the secure enclave, uh, similar to what you have in your credit card. That chip, uh, it's pretty secure. I mean, there are ways to hack these, uh, um, obviously, but um, you know, it's pretty hard to. Um, you know, it's not someone um, you can find uh, a hacker to do. It's it's pretty sophisticated ways to doing it. So, you know, banking, um, banking uh, players, uh, um, the government, especially in Europe, has recognized Fido as a very strong authentication. So, you know, there's always ways to hack. Um, a solution, but you know, um, you know, this is considered really secure. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Simon. Now, another question we're getting is: uh, besides uh, face slash touch ID, what are other good alternatives are there? Yeah. So it's really dependent. So this FIDO protocol is is basically a way of uh, storing and signing transactions. In terms of the hardware, there's actually a couple, uh, many different ways in how you could use it. So um, right now, uh, device support, um, uh, for example, on your phone, it's the Apple's Face ID, Touch ID. Samsung used to have, and it's, they still do, um, some of their older device uses Iris, which Fido also supports. So Iris is one of them as well. And then on the desktop, um, you got a fingerprint scanner and also you have an infrared um, the infrared scan of your face as well. So, so those are the ways right now to do um, um, the FIDO biometric uh, passwordless authentication. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So, uh, what we've actually taken a poll in actually the community, and the question was, do you think uh, we'll ever get away from using passwords? Seventy-one uh, percent said yes. Twenty-nine percent said no. So. I think you're leaning towards, yeah, people think we're gonna get away from it. Yeah, so that's kind of what Login ID is about. We're trying to move the needle, make accelerate that process of moving people away from passwords. And, you know, you know, it does take a long time to move consumer, um, you know, not only consumer behavior, but also, you know, the companies and websites. But what makes us special is that, you know, we're, we're we make it super easy to use this you know, FIDO WebAuthn protocol, which is uh, quite difficult to implement, and we layer on top of standard uh, web protocols like OAuth 2 and OpenID Connect so that you can easily put it on your website. So it gives an opportunity to developers to start adopting this solution very quickly, and then eventually, yeah, we think that everything will go passwordless because you really don't want to store you know, passwords on the server side. You really want to use what Fido provides, which is um, the private key stores in your hardware device in a secure enclave. And then on the on the other side, in the server, it's just a public key. So even right. if it gets hacked, nothing happens because it's a public key. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So next question we have here is: What are some of the consumer behaviors, uh, behavior challenges you're seeing in the market? Adaptability, usability. I think more of it is it's it's kind of a, uh, a, a surprise for that this is able to, like I think there's a very at the beginning um, like I can show you actually 
I can share my screen actually how that user experience is. It's just that because it's such a new protocol, most people don't anticipate when they click the login button that the fingerprint scanner comes up. I think eventually as more and more applications start adopting it, it's the norm. So give you an example, you know, eBay started adopting the FIDO web off in, you know, mid-year last year. So when I when I when I logged into my eBay account, I just needed to swipe my fingerprint. So that was very convenient. Uh, and so once you have you know, big platforms starting to adopt, you'll find people start to be get used to it. Mm-hmm. Just like similar to, you know, uh, with your mobile phone and people unlocking their phone, people will start to get used to using their face and their fingerprints studying, instead of typing a, you know, kid, yeah. No, make, makes sense. Well, yeah. thank you guys for uh, putting these questions for Simon. We're gonna keep, uh, keep them coming. We're gonna keep asking Simon. Uh, one thing I'm gonna ask you guys to do, if you know anyone that wants to learn about uh, passwordless authentication, message them right now. Have them come out and ask Simon a whole bunch of questions. I mean, we have Simon here for the next about 45 Absolutely. minutes. So let's kind of get get him some questions. Let's educate the market on passwordless authentication. So I got a next next question for you. How does passwordless authentication work with legacy technologies like AS400 that can't even support complex password schemes? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. So what they do usually in those situations is they have what they call an IDP or identity platform where you authenticate and then you you um you come up with an identity token like an OAuth 2 protocol and then you send that token over and then the legacy platform needs to somehow ingest that and say okay I recognize that this is that's already authenticated by a third party that you already trust and so for example with login ID we would we would be the trusted kind of partner with um, you know with an existing website or, or system we would do the authentication and pass along a, a token, and then the um, the old legacy system would need to somehow ingest that token. So then mm-hmm. it offloads all the complexity of the latest specifications of authentication for FIDO and WebAuthn to us, and then all they have to do is just support on the front end on their side um, uh, 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 our service as a, as a trusted service. So okay, yeah, okay. So one question is coming to me, I'm thinking on the business side. What is driving business towards the world of passwordless strong authentication? I know you talked about the honeypot and security, but is there any other reasons why companies are moving that way? I think it all comes down to if it drives business, right? So mm-hmm. conversion, conversion, conversion. So if you look at the statistics, they already have this uh, already, um, like they have uh, Google and Yahoo has already done some studies and you know they've enabled this on a couple of their websites so for example in Yahoo they they uh, they enabled it in in Japan and they saw a 24% increase in conversion um, similar with Google similar numbers so it's it's a it's a mind-boggling increase in conversion so um, and then you find that um, I think the stats was 89% conversion versus 60 660-ish with password. Okay. So the, 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 the idea is that you'll be able to convert people much quicker. Uh, and then also, uh, the, not only is it uh, the failure rate is much lower, the, it's also the speed as well, right? You think uh, typing, uh, putting your fingerprint versus typing a password. 
um, you know, fingerprints typically a lot faster. So the stats is around three, three to four times faster using biometrics. Okay. Um, so I think conversion is the why businesses want to do that. And then another reason is obviously security, and then the finally compliance. Right. So security, you know, uh, as I, s I mentioned before, a lot of companies don't want to store, you know, passwords and PII data. Mm -hmm. uh, and really what, what they do is to use, you know, a, a protocol similar to, to FIDO, where it's PKI, where, you know, they're storing the public key. And so, um, uh, so it's, they're, you know, they're not in possession in, in, of a valuable, you know, password on their system. And so, so security is one aspect. And then finally, compliance, right? So, for example, in in Europe, um, you know, you, you need to be GDPR compli uh, compliant, which means a lot of PII data uh, needs to be secured, and you know, passwords obviously PII data, mm -hmm. and um, you know, this eliminates the uh, you know, FIDO is GDPR compliant inherently because it's pseudo anonymous, a digital signature that comes from your phone um, can't really identify who you are actually, so. Okay. Yeah, so that's why, you know, conversion, which is kind of the business case for it, you have higher conversion rates, faster conversion rates, and then obviously um, security compliance. Um, those are uh, big reasons why you would want to move away from passwords. Okay, good to yeah. know. So we've got some more questions coming in from the community. Um, I don't use the biometrics on my my iPhone, just on an 11 digit password, but I am really. And then, but am I really safe? Question, because uh, I'm using an iPhone. What do you think, Simon? Yeah, actually, even if you uh, use the PIN, it's actually much more secure because uh, what happens is the FIDO actually stores the, um, the 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 private key inside the iPhone's secure enclave. So it's much more secure than like a password manager that you have or these form fills that you have that from Chrome and whatnot. So it is much more secure with existing solutions. Even if you have that, that pin on your iPhone, um, you, you should definitely, you know, when, when people, when websites start adopting um, Fido, it will pop up that, um, that, uh, that screen. And I believe in certain instances, you can bypass it and use your pin number uh, instead of your fingerprint. So uh, I think uh, certain operating system, the behavior actually changes. So. I have to check what the iPhone is particularly, but I believe what happens is you can um, bypass the actual fingerprint by typing in your PIN number. But the, the but the point is there, now the two-factor then is something that you have, which is the, the, the crypt, encryption key on your, in the secure enclave and something that you know, which is your PIN. So it's still strong two-factor because okay. it's controlled by the hardware of the phone. So yes, it is much more secure than any existing solution out there. Awesome. Yes. Good to know, because uh, yep. I have an iPhone too, so it's actually good to know that too. Um, yeah. Do you see passwordless authentication also being implemented in the non-consumer field of tech uh, for like IT professionals using terminals? Yeah, so very good questions. For high security, um, FIDO WebAuthn actually started off with security keys. So I'm gonna show you one that I have right here. It's a FIPS level two security key, which you can use your fingerprint to unlock. So the key actually, the, the private keys are stored in, instead of the secure enclave of your iPhone, it's also in here as well. So you can put, you can bring this around and you can, 
for example, I want to transfer like in corporate world, I want to transfer a big amount of money between say, I want to pay some vendor, um, you know, you know, $200,000, then you would want some security like, like a key like this or something like, uh, um, like with your phone, a secure enclave and, and, um, and your fingerprint. So definitely, um, non-consumer something that's kind of consumer ish and corporate is, you know, crypto exchanges. So, you know, we have a lot of, uh, interest in the crypto exchange space where, you know, if you log into, you know, um, an entity like Coinbase, Kraken or Binance, they are very paranoid with security. Mm -hmm. And, you know, right now they use, uh, typically they use it like a Google Authenticator, which is a software based um, key that rotates a number, right? Mm -hmm. um, in your phone. And then, then you type that number while you're logging in. But um, if you think about it, that can be easily replaced by FIDO WebAuthn and you get better security and better convenience. So, so that's another example where it's kind of like a, a commercial application and consumer application. Depends what, whether you're a day trader or not. But the point is, with high security uh, applications, this is specific, uh, very relevant. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Next question: uh, Can your physical credentials that are stored be used against you in the legal area? For example, if you use fingerprint login, can FBI uh, agents search for your matches to your fingerprint on a database for your uh, for uh, for phone companies? So I guess what he's asking for is that because your fingerprints on these devices, can they can they actually scrape them out? No. So that's the beauty of it. Well, so the so the key thing is well, there's obviously and um, there's ways to extract your fingerprint from like the oil and whatnot on your on your fingerprint scanner itself. But the actual template and all that is actually securely stored in that secure enclave. That's why. You hear on the news where you know FBI wants to get access to this criminal iPhone, and you know Apple and the CEO Tim Cook says no, we're not adding any backdoors in our hardware and software to allow you to get in. So this is the exact same thing that we're using the same security of that iPhone, right? That secure enclave, and you won't be able to access that biometric template from that phone. So that's why the beauty of this is, uh, you know, that's regulatory compliant. Um, um, where you know the the inside the the hardware itself is not stored in some central server, um, so that if that central server gets hacked, then you'll be able to find out how your fingerprint is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, thank you. Uh, do computers have a secure enclave, or is it is it that only mobile devices? And I know we talked about this a little before. Yeah. Yeah, so there's different ways um, uh, for different levels of security. So Apple's pretty good. They have what they call the secure enclave, which is kind of hardware back. Um, a lot of chip manufacturers like Intel, Qualcomm, like the ARM-based processors, they have what they call the trusted execution environment, which is um, which is um, like a, a, a slightly, I wouldn't say as uh, not insecure, but it's more of a software base, but it's protected by hardware. It runs in its own little uh, secure environment. They call the trusted execution environment. So, um, so in the case of Android phones, they store those in the trusted execution environment and not in a secure enclave. 
uh, well, with certain certain uh, manufacturers like Samsung, they may complement it with a Knox platform, which is also hardware based. And then in the case of uh, Pixel Phone, uh, I believe they have that titanium uh, chip, which um, they use for for FidoWeb Authent, actually. So they so in the case where um, you know they don't have those chips, it's still very secure. They still runs in what they call the trusted execution environment. And if the if the hardware is available there, like a Pixel phone, I believe it started with Pixel 3, um, that has that Titan chip, then it's similar to what Apple is. They have a secure enclave. Yep. Nice. Uh, next question. Does MFA ever go away with passwordless? Yeah, so passwordless is actually MFA. If you think about multi-factor authentication, is two factors, right? So, um, so you would have uh, your what you are and what you have, um, and so that is inherently MFA. So we see it eliminating all this text messaging stuff. So um, text messaging and all that in the long term is, uh, it, um, you know, it is another factor, but it's honestly a weak factor. And then um, you know, in the European Union, they are considering deprecating that and recognizing it as a strong secondary factor because you know phones um, they can be changed in terms of you have a mobile operator like uh, like AT&T and you can have uh, malicious um, people that work there change your phone number to a different SIM and this is actually what happened to um, what they call SIM swap attacks where people steal millions and millions of do uh, dollars of crypto for Bitcoin is because you know you have someone that's malicious at AT&T or Verizon, and they go and change the phone number to uh, a hacker's SIM chip, and then they now be able to get their code. But with you know FIDO WebAuth, then you can't do that because you know we eliminate all the man-in-middle attack because the signature comes from the actual hardware. Even if you have a compromised operating system, it's good because the signature comes from the hardware itself. So. Um, yeah, so we see like t text messaging and all that, you know, uh, being used less and less. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's see what's the next question here. Uh, but who is who is throwing? Uh, sorry, who is throwing the author uh, authentication? Is it a zero trust model? So basically, they're asking, you know, who's who's storing the authentication, you know, on the device, whatever. Is it a zero trust model? Yeah. Um, the, the the yeah the device itself is actually storing the private key. Mm -hmm. um, the server also participates by generating what they call a challenge, so that there is no replay attacks. And so uh, the server side, which is a login ID, they would exchange that. Now, if in the example of um, they don't trust login ID, then they can implement that themselves and have um, and and have the actual client themselves generate the challenge. And have the hardware sign it. So, I think in that example, you know, it is uh, um, what they call. In the definition of uh, a, a zero zero trust, I'm not particularly certain what that means. I know in the in the uh, you know crypto uh, crypto space, um, you know, it usually just means um, a, a, a zero trust model where. You know, you come up with a signature, which is actually what Fido does. So, you don't actually pass any private data through that uh, process. You just have a pseudo-random 
um, signature come out of it. Yeah. No, it makes sense. Uh, next question. Uh, considering some uh, some countries require you to hand over passwords to services or password managers, will passwordless solutions help or hinder folks who are more uh, privacy conscious? Yeah. Mm. So in the case of this, it only does uh, authentication. Mm -hmm. um, so there's actually no data that is... Um, that's a good, good question because after you authenticate, then it unlocks your privacy data in a lot of times. So if in the case of um, my understanding with the laws is that you can't compel someone to disclose their PIN number, but you are, uh, you are uh, in certain instances, um, the authorities uh, are allowed to compel you to present your biometrics. So I don't know, I'm not the lawyer and I don't know the uh, latest interpretation, but my understanding of it is that um, that in that particular case, if you you are crossing the border, um, they can now compel you to use your biometrics to unlock your device. Um, but in the case of you using a pin, they cannot because it's something that you know that they can, can't compel you. So in that particular case, um, you probably want to set your um, your iPhone in some special mode where, um, yeah, that uh, is pinned only. So now, is that yeah. something, Simon? They could follow up with you. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So, so, guys, if you ever want to follow up with Simon, I'm going to put his website here. Uh, it's loginid.io. If you have any, you know, kind of more technical questions, and you want to find out more about the solution or even legalities from your country. All right, or, you know, looking at privacy concerns, even for your organization and company, go to his website, check it out, send him a message yeah. there, and then yeah, I'm sure Simon, you'll be able to answer that. Yeah, we, we have a compliance officer on our team. We can definitely um, get some clarity there. So yeah, perfect. Uh, second here, next question. Ah, uh, 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 I can see it now. So he's uh, this guy's actually talking about you know the new way of red team testing. Right. Oh, I can see it now. The future where red team uh, knock people out cold to get their get password uh, get past some passwordless authentication. So what we've seen in some movies where they you know they go take out their eye, they take, cut off their thumb, yeah. whatever that may be. Yeah. I think he's yeah. talking about the new way of red team testing. Yeah, I mean, it is very difficult, but at least it does, it solves the what they would in, can include what we consider in the security space is. There's no massive attack a vector because if you do passwordless, uh, I mean, if you do passwords, if I go and hop, hack into a server, then I got a honeypot of all these passwords and then I can go whenever I feel like it and I got millions of passwords and I can go and log into all these accounts, right? Right. Uh, in the case of this model, it's kind of a distributed model, right? Each and every device has its own private key and their own secure enclave. So, um, you know, it's very unlikely that there is um, a massive attack where you can go physically go into every single device. You, you have to you have to be very targeted and says, like, you know, I want Brandon's device or Simon's device and then go figure out where they live and, and be able to, sw you know, swipe their device in order to do it. Right. So it's not it's a much harder model because it's a distributed model right. um, to, to, to do a massive attack. So you have to go you know, device by device to, to, to do your hacking. Yeah. Which makes it a lot harder, right? Yeah, yeah, much harder. 
So you're like in the movies, yeah, you have to go and rip the guy's eyes off or whatever, <laughs> or, or your fingerprint to do that, right? It's not, it's not going to be easy to do it in a massive scale, right? So, right. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, then you have to go like war driving or like not war driving, um, whaling, like going after that that individual, right, of yes. high value, right? right? So you're going after that just to make sure you can get some sort of uh, reward to compromising them if it's yeah. data, if it's financial, whatever that may be, access. Yeah, and then also you have to keep in mind as well is that it's not that this solution will just totally eliminate all the other factors of authentication. You can also include existing risk-based um, methods as well, right? So when the system detects, hey, this is really weird um, anonymous, uh, anonymously in terms of behavior, they can also ask for a third factor or, or, or a fourth factor, right? It's just, um, this is just another tool uh, which is a really good tool. It doesn't mean the existing tools can, um, can uh, need to be all eliminated. So a lot of risk-based um, types of um, solutions are out there already that are pretty good, and they and and just and people should actually still continue using those. Okay. Yeah. So let's go back to COVID. I mean, we're going through the pandemic. There's a lot been going on. Has the COVID nineteen changed the way consumers and, and enterprise? should approach data security and if so like what should they be looking at yeah so you know i i think covid is just acceleration of people going digital right and so once people go digital um everything requires authentication so uh you know this is just acceleration of the need for stronger authentication and obviously the fido web Authent is a great um solution to it because it has higher convenience and higher security. So I think COVID is um, acceleration of, you know, people going digital. And then at the same time, when you go digital, um, you have to do some form of authentication. And so what are the tools out there for authentication, right? This is passwords, it's text messaging, it's rotating, you know, Google authenticators. And now the new toolbox is FIDO Web Authent. And, you know, that is, in, in our opinion, probably one of the best tools out there. So um, it's definitely going to accelerate this, uh, this adoption. Yep. Which, what, 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 that's And in my area, like, I'm, I'm looking at from the things I'm dealing with data, like, everyone's gone, like, 90%, 95% of people have gone remote now, right? Because they're either working from home or working from either maybe a remote location or isolated. And what happens is they're now logging into you know, cloud solutions, VPN, yeah. right? You know, remote, like uh, Office 365, whatever that may be. So yeah. now you're looking at all these remote, you know, cloud solutions, SaaS model applications. So it, enhancing, good. No, no, that's perfect. That's a great question. And I'm just gonna say, you know, that's why password manager hell, right? My password manager probably just increased lately because like you said, you have to log into a lot more systems now. My password manager just grew more and it just requires more and more of these passwords. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if it's just fingerprint and then right. that's it, right? You just sign up, use your fingerprint, and going forward, you just use your fingerprint. So I think those are reasons why, you know, I think uh, passwordless is going to be very appealing. No, and that, and I see that as well, and I think that's kind of what we're seeing. I know, like we talked about before the, the actual stream, like some of the companies I worked for before, Right, and the, some of the reselling and kind of looking at how they're developing this technology and kind of getting out there. 
and seeing Log and ID and what they're doing for the industry, I think is so important to look at the evolution of authentication, right? And security yeah. and security. Now, next question I have for you is, we saw over 2020, 2021, the increase of compromises, people being mm-hmm. attacked, ransomware. You know, what are some of the serious you know, data breaches you, you know of that could be prevented by Login ID and its solution? Yeah, good question. So, you know, you kind of upgrade their systems. You know, back in the days, it was um, it was an LDAP solution. People started putting their identity for, within a corporation, at least. They use these old types of systems. Things are starting to evolve into later protocols like OpenID Connect and OAuth too. So, what what we provide Login ID is just as a way of a new a way to transition companies that are storing all these PII data and have it kind of consolidate into a place where you know, another company can manage that on their behalf. So, you know, in my prior life, that's a good example, like PCI, if people are familiar, this is a standard where when you store credit cards in your system, it has to be, uh, you know, secured really well, right? Mm-hmm. Similar now, personal data is just like credit card data, it's very valuable. So you got to take that sim- similar amount of rigor. So what happens is you have companies like ourselves and others in the space trying to offload that problem to us so that we are kind of storing that and making sure that all the security is good and doing that authentication. And then um, the um, the actual business is doing all the business logic and, and whatnot on, on it. And the actual PII data is offloaded and so that they don't have to, you know, worry about the PII being compromised. Okay. Now, do you know any specific attacks you could reference that you're saying, look, you know, lo- if they use login ID, that yeah. wouldn't have happened? Yeah. So if you if you look at like the big data breaches so that still there's repercussions from now is like the Yahoo hack. Mm-hmm. Yahoo hack got hacked a couple times and a lot of passwords got exposed and similar with LinkedIn as well. So, um, you know, in the dark web, there's, you know, people talk about, you know, these Honey pots of passwords that are still available. So that's why Yahoo, if you notice, um, they started migrating people to kind of the the earliest stage is some kind of two-factor authentication. It will wake up uh, an application, a Yahoo app, uh, I think it's a weather application on your phone whenever you logged into Yahoo Mail. Uh, people don't really use that much Yahoo Mail, but that's how it is, how they, how they get around the problem because so many uh, passwords got compromised and because of that hack, people use the same passwords. They use that same password everywhere, not only for their Yahoo Mail, but for their banking so or some kind of checkout application, right? So they use that password over and over. So now that I know Brandon's email, right. um, that's Yahoo email and their password, I'm going to use that Yahoo email and password everywhere else. So I'm going to probably start with the biggest banks, you know, Chase, Bank of America, or go try to your, you know, you know, Amazon account, whatever it is, um, and I'll probably be able to find one that you still use your old password, and I'll be able to get get into your system. So that's kind of where FIDO WebAuthn. If they use that, there would be no password anymore. They would be storing uh, um, a public key in there, and it's useless for a hacker because that public key is not only tied to that uh, uh, um, hardware; it's also tied to that particular website. So right. it has to. They have to visit back Yahoo. If if Yahoo, uh, I mean, back 
four years ago, Fido is just starting out as a um, uh, as a standard. But if they had that before, then you know they would hack in, and you see all these public keys. It'd be useless. Even if they took the public key, they're going to have to somehow be able to take over their um, their certificate as well and point the traffic to the to the hackers, and then at the same time use those public keys. So this re- it would have been resolved if if, if, um, if they had uh, used Fido. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We got some good questions coming back in. Um, Is the hash template generated by or generated from fingerprints always in the same uh, O's and ones? So I think he's talking binary. Yeah. So yeah, you're talking about um, where the biometric templates are stored on the server. Again, uh, in the FIDO WebAuthn standard, the biometric templates are stored inside the secure enclave. And so um, we never get access to it. So um, the private key and the biometric template is stored there. And as you know, it um, you know even the government entities, FBI's can't hack into those hardware um, right. devices to get access to it. Yeah. Okay. I uh, wondered if I could somehow be extracted from System A. Could it, 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 it in theory, be used to log into System B? Okay, yes, similar question. Um, if you steal the public keys for, for our uh, private, um, the FIDO WebAuth and you steal it, you won't be able to log in just because it's tied to a particular um, website. So, so, um, so if you go to Best Buy and you hack into Best Buy and you get all these public keys, you won't be able to do anything with it because um, if you present that signature, um, when someone does Best Buy, Best Buy two, for example, you create a, another website that looks exactly like Best Buy, but it has a two at the end, and you mistype somehow, and you typed in Best Buy two dot com. Well, it doesn't matter because the fingerprint template that was associated with it was associated with Best Buy dot com, not Best Buy two dot com. Okay. So you won't. It's useless. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next question. What if in the future there are biometric spyware, uh, no more key loggers, but fingerprint fingerprint loggers? Yeah, those are good question. Yeah, um, I mean this is a basically a cat and mouse type thing. So the fingerprint scanners are getting smarter and smarter. Um, they do what they call liveliness detection, so they know that whether it is. Like there's these universal universal fingerprints that to try to make the bridges kind of as as you know as uh, as generic as possible to sometimes be able to trick the older fingerprint scanners. But FIDO WebAuthn is really good. They they have a minimum standard and how how much collision that can happen before they will reject it. So uh, fingerprint scanners. So. Uh, they, they sometimes, for example, you get an image from, say, your glass, right? You have your fingerprint, and then you create a dummy fingerprint and try to use that, and you were somehow be able to steal the guy's uh, steal the guy's um, phone, and you use this dummy fingerprint, and then you like the movies, and then you scan it. Well, the well the fingerprint scanners now are getting a little bit smarter. They actually know whether it is a dummy fingerprint. They actually detect whether there's warm. I think that's what they do. Like lively needs detections so they make sure that it is a live person fingerprint it's not some kind of a dummy fingerprint so there yeah i mean as as hackers start to think of new ways 
hardware uh, starts to get better. But again, no massive attacks anymore, right? Um, it, it's just by phone by phone. So, so it's like I have to target Brandon or Simon uh, when I'm doing the hack. It's not something that I can go out and say, hey, I have this, you know, 10 million Yahoo passwords. I'm going to try all these 10 million and all these websites and eventually because of the probability, I'm going to get a successful login, right? It's not going to happen anymore. Okay. Good. Um, next question. iPhones are safer from being hacked, infected than Android, correct? So that's a question. So I guess they're competing, right? Android, Android and iPhone. So what do you think? iPhone, Android? I think so. I think iPhone is uh, slightly better in, in, in the way they... Um, they put applications within the uh, and how they run it inside their containers. You know, this area, um, you know, Android and the Pixel phones actually, um, you know, are always, you know, competing. It's just because Android itself is a more fragmented ecosystem. You don't get ubiquity, but there are Android phones that are very secure and, and whatnot. So, you know, um, I'm going to have to leave it to actually my CTO to tell you some of the vulnerabilities and in the operating system compared to each of them. But I think um, I think both of them um, have the right tools. It's just they don't have ubiquity in the hardware. That's right. why some of them may be more secure than others. But, you know, you know the Pixel phones and whatnot, they have the hardware backing, so it's just as secure. Yeah. In what? terms of some of the malware software, that's more of, you know, you know, App Store. That I can't comment because Apple does have, I believe, in my opinion, they have a more stringent way of approving apps, mm -hmm. but that's a different story, okay? Yeah. yeah. Well, I was just gonna actually bring that up. Yeah. I think Apple just recently over the last, I think over a year or two years, uh, is actually now starting to secure down their uh, library of applications that you can install, and now there's authentication, like uh, an approval process, right? Mm -hmm. I noticed when I was on Big Sur and uh, my Mac, uh, some of the applications I had to approve, and and then yes. they, there was a warning and all that. On that, if it was a third-party application, it was it was more challenging to install it, right? and it had to be written certain code. Uh, what was it? OBS, I think, was the studio. I was having problems with that for a while, mm -hmm. and it's a streaming uh, platform, and it was a problem because what happens? The new Big Sur updates wasn't letting it install. Yes, you're right, and that's yeah, that's where. Like you said, they're starting to lock things down, make sure that applications um, don't have free reign on what they can use within the operating system. They get, they have to get permission each time, so then uh, you know um, users have more control, right? Like, um, like why does the, why does suddenly your you know your uh, music application that runs on Big Sur need to use your webcam, for example, so you can decline it. And like you said, there's a lot of other fine-grained security aspects. For sure. Um, as a summary, the worst co uh, compromised compromised data would be the private key used, uh, but not your biometric data. Yeah, I think um, you know keys itself. That's why people use keys, like um, generate public-private keys is because they you can revoke them meaning you can generate new ones but biometrics you can't you can't grow a new fingerprint right so can you I'm from, <laughs> yeah actually you're right i mean you can scrape off your fingerprint and it'll grow the same pattern but i'm i'm saying in general you don't 
you can't revoke that pattern anymore, right? But keys right. you can. So it's much more problematic if you get your biometrics compromised right. than your keys. Um, because keys, you can eventually tell the server, hey, you know, Simon got compromised, go revoke those keys and tell them to re-sign up the next time they log in. That's super simple for a system to do. But if you have a biometric, yeah, uh, then that's a problem. But the good thing about this FIDO, again, is that you compromise that, um, well, it's really hard to compromise because, again, you have to go into the template, into the secure enclave to get to the template. And, and even in the template itself, it's stored in a way where I think one of the questions was whether it was hashed or whatnot. It's still stored in a way where you can't um, go back and figure out what the actual fingerprint was. So, um, so they're, they're even in the storage of the biometric template. Even if you were to hack into the secure chip, you won't be able to do much with the template as well. Yeah. Okay. okay, perfect. Okay, guys, we're coming up uh, close to the end. If you have any last questions, quickly throw them in. Uh, we might do a speed round with Simon just to kind of do some quick questions, uh, get them all in just before Simon has to go. Uh, I want to ask you, right? Kind of last question from me. Where do you see cybersecurity the next three to five years? Right, if you're seeing all this new technology, yeah. this evolution, where do you see it? Well, obviously, we, 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 we're putting our bets around uh, this passwordless uh, and then also in identity, strong identity. So how we see the future is strong authentication with strong identity. So identity, I didn't talk much in, in this podcast about, but something that we're going to offer uh, as part of our solution is not only to we know that it's the same person logging in through FIDO WebAuth and we actually know that it is Brandon and it is Simon and this is through what they call strong identity and you do that by by uh, you know using some kind of root of trust like a government issued idea like your passport or your driver's license mm -hmm. and then after you do what they call KYC or strong identity then Going forward, then you have a strong authentication like FIDO. So, for example, I'll give you an example which we're implementing with a bank is, hey, I'm signing up with a bank, a new bank account. I don't want to go into a branch because of COVID. So they need to know that it's actually Simon Law that's opening a bank account, right? Because if you go into open a bank account um, a year ago, you have to show your ID. It's several pieces of your ID. So now what we can do is have that all virtual you can you know tap your passport which has an nfc chip or scan your passport with your you know your your driver uh with your camera and um we know if, whether it's authentic and then um that gives you strong identity and then afterwards you scan your face in real time making sure that you're not a picture right you're not getting a picture of my linkedin profile making sure you're a live person you have to blink and smile and then that proves that the right person is person is in possession of the right government issued ID and then what we do is we combine that with FIDO and then going forward we can eliminate all the the, the the ID information we never store it and then we just use authentication then I just know that it's branded mm -hmm. it's Brandon logging in each time because we did the strong identity in, in the past and then going forward we have strong authentication so okay. those are the things we see in terms of um, next uh, like things Next, next to things, yeah, the combination of strong authentication. You know, blockchain is something also I think that is um, it's a little further uh, off, but people doing a lot of research. 
There's this one called distributed ID, um, DID. I think that's really, really cool. And then also um, there's a lot of research being done on privacy and, you know, companies that have a lot of private data on their, on their servers. How do you make sure that you um, do a query that doesn't, that is privacy preserving? So there's a topic called deferential privacy, which is really interesting for me. It's how you guarantee privacy uh, when people do these uh, big searches, right? So that, hey, all I know need to know is that how many people in this zip code uh, likes to, you know, watch uh, a certain basketball game. They will know how many people, they just don't need to know it's Simon or Brandon that likes to watch basketball. They just tell you that number. So that's kind of the new theory behind preserving privacy. It's called differential privacy. So these are some of, some of the topics that are coming up uh, I don't know if it's in three to five years, but it is kind of what uh, people are, are thinking about, you know, uh, identity on the blockchain, differential privacy. In a short period of time, we see a huge thing about, you know, going passwordless with FIDO Web Authent and doing strong identity. That's kind of where our, our company is doing right now. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so we're going to do rapid fire, yes or no kind of uh, questions here, just because we're yeah. coming up with the last three minutes. Uh, sure. I'm a Linux user. Can you discuss on uh, on the state of passwordless on that OS? So my question to you: Can you use it on your on the Linux OS? Yes, you can. Perfect. And I don't I don't I don't know of all the distribution, but yeah, I, I do know that there are distributions that support it inherently. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Perfect. Yep. Can blockchain be potentially used with your tech? Say that last part again. Can blockchain be used yes. with your tech? Yes. Perfect. Uh, if uh, I wonder if future cars like the Apple car uh, will use passwordless uh, methods, bio biometrics like Face ID instead of physical keys. Yes, that would be really good. That would be the next step authentication. Absolutely. Well, I think we're starting to see where people can start to log in, like into their car, and actually uh, just quickly talk about there's encryptions and stuff that start coming out with these cars now, where you can th thumbprint, type in a passcode, so you can see the evolution of that. Yep. Uh, and then last question is, what's your opinion on voice ID? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, there's a lot of things, uh, uh, research being done on voice ID and, uh, you know, um, definitely not as secure as um, touch ID and, uh, and face ID, but there, there is a lot of research going there into figuring out a signature from your voice. Um, yeah, so I actually would like to see that actually come come out because, as you know, we're now talking to the Google Assistant or your um, uh, your Alexa, right? So it'd be nice to actually see that um, the, the the voice ID or voice signature come out, and uh, that would be the next big um, thing. I'd be interested to see. Yeah, true. Last question. Last question yeah. for the podcast. Uh, so there's a newbie here. Uh, but could someone come up with a single stage multifacet ID like bio or pin uh, or bio pin and voice or other combos? Yes. Yeah, so what we provide is multi-factor. So you can add more factors. So say you just cut out, Simon. Absolutely. So I'll give you an yep. example. Like Bitcoin is there's finality. If you want to transfer a million dollars in Bitcoin, definitely want to do the more than two factor. You just add another factor, right? So it would be passwords, 
um, your FIDO, your biometric, and uh, and the secure enclave. So three factors, right? Maybe you add one more factor just because you're paranoid, right? Um, um, and so, yeah, definitely the combination of many factors is, is is what you want to do. Depends on the situation you want, right? If you're just doing some kind of um, logging into some kind of news website, you know, you can just have a very simple way of authentication. But if you want to transfer a big amount of money that has finality, like Bitcoin, right? You be definitely better have many more factors. Perfect. Well, Simon, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Is it uh, login uh, loginid.io? Yes, login ID. You just send me a chat, and then you can get. If you really want to talk about company-related products, go to loginid.io, or you can uh, tweet at me at uh, Simon Innovates, um, and that's my Twitter handle. And then uh, ask me questions there. Perfect. Well, Simon, I want to first thank you so much for your time to kind of go through this and educate the community on, you know, password passwordless authentication and how it's evolving in the community. Uh, next, I also like to keep uh, keep in touch with you, just to how it's going for companies, organizations, for people, and just the evolution of technology. So please keep in touch. Let us know like how's it going. New the new innovations, autonomous vehicles, you know, uh, drones, you name it. Whatever you're you're working on, I love to hear it. Absolutely, yeah. You will find actually our applications will be using in in vehicles as well. So. Yeah, it's very exciting. You know, authentication can be used for many type, types of application. Yeah, I'm, I'll be more than happy to come on again and t tell you more exciting applications uh, using our technology. Awesome, Simon. So I'm going to get you in the lobby. And uh, yeah. thank you so much. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, everyone. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that episode. There was a lot of information there. Uh, give me a thumbs up. Let me know uh, what you thought. If you learned a lot from tonight's episode, uh, again, you know, loginid.io. Uh, give Simon a shout. Let him know like what you thought. Uh, if you have any questions on how to use this technology, or even just you know, you know, how you're going to use it for your organization, give him a shout. Uh, he's he's really great on information and kind of sharing that. Uh, Thank you so much for the moderators and all the questions in the community you guys have given. Uh, please, please, please ask you, share this out with your community. Uh, Neil and myself for the cybersecurity and security are looking at growing this so much more. And it's just, you know, it's so grateful to have you guys out here and to contribute because we're learning from your questions of what you need, what you're thinking about, and just really kind of helping the community. Now, just one thing I want to remind you about is that we have Neil on in an hour and we're having a little competition tonight I had my interview t right now he's gonna have his interview in an hour come out show up uh, let us know which one you enjoyed the most and right, which you got the most value most information from uh, again our goal here from when the cyber and security is to give you as much information we can help you in your career help you in your field help you develop in cybersecurity and just learn what's the leading cutting edges of cybersecurity. So that's it for tonight's episode. I want to thank you so much. Uh, and just don't forget, software's hackle, being connected vulnerable. I'll see you next Daily Cyber.